Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. All right, welcome on to the man covering the Houston Rockets. He's been there for a while now, the Athletics Beat Man, and came up with maybe the best column name that anyone has, the Ecosystem. <laughs> What's going on, Kelly Eco? How you doing? How you doing, man? About time you had me on the show, man. I've seen everybody else hop on. I mean, I'm waiting for my turn, so I appreciate you having me on, bro. <laughs> well, I wanted to actually do this as one of the last ones because they have so many rookies. I wanted to get a look at, at right. these guys in, right. in preseason. and. The biggest takeaway, I mean, we knew this during the offseason, obviously, when it happened, but just what a seminal moment for the franchise. It was feast or famine when they got that number two overall pick. They statistically were more likely to lose that pick to the Thunder as number five than keep it. Instead, it bumps up to number two. They got one of the two guys to me in this draft. I had those two guys above Mobley. I know some people had those all all in the same tier, but Jalen Green looks like he could be the transformative star for this franchise to make this rebuild not nearly as painful as it might have looked like it was going to be uh, about maybe eight months ago yeah and you know going through that whole process you know the team tried to have to evaluate you know because Jalen Green was the prospect as well Evan Mobley the possibility of even going number one you know potentially taking Cade you know, there were a lot of moving parts in that whole process because they weren't sure, you know, Detroit kind of kept their cards close to their chest, you know, for a number of weeks. Um, they, they liked to do their due diligence. And while Jalen Green was a superstar talent, they also looked at Kate as a superstar talent. Also, so I have a mobile superstar talent. So it just came down to, I think, for them, explosiveness, the potential to be a, a superstar in this league, the potential to be a high-level scorer, and, and the possibility of pairing uh, Jalen Green with uh, Kevin Porter Jr. That's what ultimately led you know, Houston to taking Green in. He blew them yeah. away with the work ethic, the the the, the practices, the, um, the individual drills and stuff like that. And just speaking with the team and the coaching staff is kind of what pushed them you know, to make that decision. Yeah, so I, I do want to talk about that pairing with KPJ a, a little bit later, but right. what have your early impressions been of green in summer league and preseason? Well, summer league was fantastic. Um, I think he blew everyone away with how quickly um, he adapted to, and even though that's not NBA, how quickly he adapted to to that to that level. Um, he had the experience in the G League, which kind of helped him with some of those early reads and and those progressions. He played well with you know Shangun and the other young guys on the floor. Um, so I think summer league was really good for him. Now preseason has been a bit different because this is the first time he's seen you know defenses this stout. You know he's never seen a Miami Heat defense. He's never seen a Toronto Raptors defense with the OG and Obi picking him up. You know three quarters of the other court. It's, that was difficult for him. And he said after the game that, you know, he had never seen anything pressure like that in his career. So having to go through that now is good for him. I think the team probably would have liked more than four preseason games to kind of get things going a bit more. But um, 
it was good for him to kind of learn those early coverages and how to attack those in the future and how to, you know, play off of Kevin Porter Jr., how to find his own shot versus, you know, finding everyone else's shot. Um, he's, still, he's still going to be a good scorer in this league, but he is still, what, 195, if that. And he's going to see a lot of guys opening night. Um, I think even the playing the, the Timberwolves opening night is going to be a crazy game for him because Anthony Edwards is a very physical defender. He's going to be on him 24-7. And he's going to learn as, as the league goes on that these guys are, you know, almost twice the size. So it's going to be it's going to be some growing change for him, I think. But I think he'll eventually catch on and, and, and find his groove. Yeah, you, you mentioned the weight, and that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me, even to some extent in Summer League, too. I mean, I'm sure you remember. Right. Like, I mean, you don't ever see this in Summer League, but the Pistons started, like, double-teaming him at a half court off the right. pick and roll. And so, uh, and then, obviously, you know, defensively, guys have been kind of going right through him in the preseason as well. And so, you know, when he got double-teamed at half court, he was kind of, he wasn't, like, stepping through aggressively, splitting the double team team off his pivot right. foot and making a good pass he was kind of just lofting a pass up in the air kind of just getting knocked backwards a little bit retreating so yeah i think that's you know he's never gonna be a guy i think who's like you know like anthony edwards like 225 66 like he just doesn't have that type of build but just to build up the core strength and just to get used to the nba game how physical it is i think and i think he's gonna get there obviously because he is like a great athlete um what are sort of the early discussions of what he's like from a, a personality standpoint and as a worker now that they've got him in the building. Yeah, so the biggest thing you hear about Jalen Green is the work ethic. He's someone that comes into the gym two, three times a day um, to get his shots up, get his workout in. He's someone that he's been compared to uh, Kobe's ethic in that aspect of someone that just is a constant work rabbit. He just wants to put in the work and the gym all the time. And that's kind of what you talk about culture and you talk about a young team on a rebuild. You need guys like that that want to be the first guy and last guy out because these guys need direction. You know, Steven Salas is in charge of a big project in Houston where they want to eventually get back to where they were, you know, a few years ago. It's going to take time, but it's also going to take guys that are willing to push the pace and push the envelope in terms of culture and get guys on the same page. And, and Jalen Green's work ethic, I think, is really impressive. Now, um, where you'll see the other stuff is, you know, how dedicated is he going to be defensively? How, how dedicated can he be learning the game? Because you saw in those other games when he got pressured, he did throw a off pass. It was kind of, he kind of looked flustered a little bit, and that'll take some time to get used to. But from a work standpoint, the coaching staff is enamored with him because he is always looking for more. And I don't think you guys get more from that from a 19-year-old. No, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, and there you, you make a good point that there is like there can kind of be a difference between the willingness to work on your own game and your willingness to like get better within the team concept. Right. And, you know, I'm sure that's something that he is going to need to learn as well. Uh, so you mentioned the pairing with Kevin Porter Jr. So let's just kind of talk about KPJ individually first, because obviously he was available for a reason, basically for free, top 55 protected first right. round pick last year. You know, he also had another issue uh, off the court last year as well with, with, at the uh, Gentleman's Club in Miami. And But he also flashed a ton of talent. He had that 50-point game down the end of last year. And so my question to you is, is he, in both the organization's opinion and your opinion, which may differ, is he a core piece on the level of Jalen Green and some of these other guys that, that they brought in? And are they still sort of looking at him as like, okay, you know, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, we're going to give him a chance. We don't have anyone else at point guard. But, you know, let's let's wait and see here. On I, I might be the only person that believes this, but I think this season, Kevin Porter Jr.'s development is, if you were going to rank 
the order of importance, I think that's number one. Because mm. becoming a point guard is an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, he's surrounded with guys like DJ Augustine and John Wall that can help him, you know, but they're not going to be on the court with him at the same time, all the time. Um, he's learning a new position. He has to learn to be a playmaker and a distributor. Um, he's somebody that has shown flashes of that, but he's also, you know, turnover prone. He's also, you know, prone to kind of having to feel out Jalen Green and learn his style and strengths and, and stuff like that. So I think with Kevin, he's an incredible talent. He's a young guy um, who wants to put in the work. He's been grateful to Houston for giving him that chance to kind of restart his career. Uh, we talked about John Lucas and Steven Siles being there for him, you know, in, in, his, in his times of need. Um, and that's what you want to see from an organization. Now the other stuff, learning the X and O's, that will take time. Steven Silas talked about it's going to be a process um, with him becoming that high-level punger that they want him to be. But he, sh- he has shown, like, if you watch the games, there's some reasons he'll make it in the high pick and roll that are, like, pretty impressive for someone that's learning the point guard position. He's played in the past, in high school, and stuff like that. Um, but I think for him, learning those, you know, the dribble handoffs and when to shoot, when, when to, you know, go to your second action, go to your third action. That's how you know the progression of a, of a point guard. And it's good to have someone like DJ Augustine um, to be with there with him to kind of teach him the way because – Augustine's been one of the league's steadiest hands for over almost 10 years, over 10 years. So um, I think with, for Kevin, it's going to be a year-long process, if not more. But um, they're on a stage right now where they don't have to have the answers right away. You know, this is this is going to be a probably three or four-year thing. So they have time. Yeah, what do you think of the pairing between KPJ and Jalen Green going forward uh, uh, as, I mean, right. this year and, and over the long term? Um. It, it, Right now, it sounds good on paper. Um, you pair two guys that can score from all three levels and guys that are seemingly unselfish, and you can kind of begin to think, you know, you can build a team around them. It's going to take some time. We've seen three games so far of them. They've tried to gauge other going. Um, it's been more of a stop-start kind of thing. Like, if you remember when Chris and James uh, first got together, it was kind of like a stop-start thing before they got their groove. Um, yeah. Just because they're, they're they're still different players. Jalen Green yeah. is a scorer. With, with, with that, you, by that you mean just like kind of taking turns on the ball. Yeah, taking turns and stuff like really that. And st- offensive, flow, right? Yeah. And if you watch the game, Stephen Silas, it's almost like he's. And this is why I think that he's more concerned of Kevin Porter Jr. Because when you watch the games, he'll have Kevin Porter on the floor as the only point guard with the second unit to end quarters and end halves stuff like that before bringing in Jalen Green. Remember how they actually they used to stagger Chris and James and Chris, or James and Russell? Those always one of the yeah. court at all times. Um, it's a bit it's a bit different here now with with Kevin and Jalen, um, but it, it should work. I mean, they're both athletic. They both want to get up the floor. They both want to play fast, and that's going to be the biggest thing for Houston playing fast because you get to have two guys running at you full speed and can attack and what Stephen Siles calls random offense before a defense can get set, and that can yield you high percentage buckets and stuff like that. Uh, so the, defensively, they're going to get torched because they're they're young and, and small. Um, <laughs> we saw the preseason already second, third string guards are going at them on a consistent basis. Um, that's not a good sign for a young team, but you no, know, they'll, they'll grow. They'll get bigger. They'll get stronger. They'll learn those defense techniques. Um, but offensively, they're going to be exciting, and that's what Rockets guys want to see most going after uh, off a dreadful year in the 2021 season. Yeah, I, mean, I remember I talked to Chris Fedor last year when KBJ was still uh, in Cleveland, and I think uh, I, right. I talked to him pretty early when it wasn't clear that he wasn't actually like with the team and, and hadn't rejoined the team yet. Right. Uh, but they were talking about him 
him as being like you know a point guard as well like the the Rockets are not the first organization to see him that way and right you know for, for me I see it I see it as you know because he has a lot of ball skills and you know I but he's still he definitely is a natural score like it is going to be right a process there like he does default back to scoring kind of when when the chips are down and so as I think about the pairing between him and Jalen Green you know I think they can get there defensively eventually like they have pretty good size and athleticism both right. of them are like six five or taller so you know hopefully right. Green you know, even if Green kind of stays skinny like he can guard point guards maybe a little bit but right. uh I can't think of a similar pairing in NBA history in the end that is work you know of just like two athletic six five guards you know neither of them is like an am- amazing dribble just like pushing the ball down your throat in transition like you kind of need that aspect in right. today's NBA so I'm not saying that it can't work but I also have, have I struggled to come up with a similar combination in history right. of two guys like them <clears throat> who were together in the backcourt without any sort of more traditional point guard that's really succeeded at a high level is that if you ever like, yeah and that's why the, yeah go ahead sorry and, yeah. that's, and that's kind of why before the whole John Wall thing happened I thought that it made sense to have to start John and play John, Kevin, and Jalen together because yeah. you kind of have that guy on them for that can help when things get stagnant. Because we've seen in the preseason, sometimes the play calling gets a bit stagnant. They don't know what to do. They're kind of freestyling out there. And that goes back to two guys that are scorers at heart trying to learn to play together. I think the only comparable thing I could think of is a younger version of Stephen Monte Ellis. And that didn't work. Um, yeah. These guys have a little more size than that. Right. Uh, right. But, they're they're but bigger. Still, but yeah. It's, yeah. And Steph is kind of is more of a pure point guard, I think, than right. either of these guys. But no, I mean, right. that's an interesting one. I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of size, we've seen it, right? Like John Wall played in a similarly sized backcourt, but John Wall right. is, you know, the one of the ultimate pure point guards of the last 10 right. years. And, right. and you know, the, he was a natural and he loved to push it down your throat and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I said a, a, a few weeks ago, that I did my guess is that it's not going to work out that I that when we see this fully formed Rockets team four or five years from now that those two guys will not be together in the backcourt and that Jalen Green is going to be the one that they're going to pick some of that to me though has to do with uh with KPJ's personal issues as well and I just you know I could see there being you know because KPJ he's going to take every opportunity he's an extremely confident guy and I think the organization may come to the conclusion all right this guy is not that good and he's holding Jalen Green back but now that's way down the road that's and you know I could be wrong in that prediction although I will say the last time I made a prediction like that was Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid so I am like <laughs> one for one <laughs> but again I mean I'm not saying it can't work and and KPJ is such an, an enigma um but it, so do you see like kind of this like real like superstar sort of upside for for KPGA if if it all works out or <clears throat> So, uh, do you so see, yeah, yeah, go ahead. When you talk about potential, like down the line, even if he doesn't turn out to be a superstar, I don't think he has to be. I think they're they're the superstar that they're banking on is Jalen. Um, they understand where they got Kevin Porter Jr. from. They understand the circumstances that brought him to Houston. I don't think they brought him in wanted to turn him into a superstar, but they brought him into to turn into a good point guard that can play with others and also has a scoring punch. So when you talk about him being in that environment, you know, being able to lean on guys like John Lucas, being able to lean on guys like Steven Salas and those be your mentors. Whatever he's been going through personally, I think, and he said himself, like the Rockets 
potentially saved his life because they, yeah. they opened and, and John, John Lucas, for those who don't know, obviously has, has right. quite quite the back rod with you know some of the issues that it seems right. like he's been going right. through. And that's what that's why he's such a respected figure in that organization because he's able to connect with everybody on any level because he's he's seen it all. He's been at every point of the game, he's been there. So I think for Kevin, more importantly, is the other stuff off the court, you know, and giving him that comfort and love and that a young player needs and nourishment that he probably didn't get in Cleveland. Um, and when it comes to learning the position and developing to a high level point, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but he, I, I do think that he can be a good point guard for this team that they need, you know, as Jalen Green comes to his own and grows and as they add, you know, maybe they get another forward in, in a year or two like that. And Christian Wood develops and, and, and stuff like that. And Apple and Shangren and stuff like that. So, then everything doesn't have to rely on Kevin. I think that's the good thing about Houston that right, right now. They have other pieces that can help the overall development and push it forward. No, and, and to be clear, I'm not criticizing the organization right. for going right. this Thanks. route right now. Like he's a really talented guy. It's not like they have some other unbelievable prospect at the right. one that he's blocking at the moment. You know, Jalen Green's not ready to be, you know, the sole focal point of right. an offense right now. I mean, maybe by the end of this year it'll become apparent that, that that's the case, but certainly not now and so yeah give it a shot I mean to me I think that KPJ probably ends up more as like a high scoring sixth man type and he could fit into this role that role with this team uh, right. pretty easily um but it's just yeah I, I I do have some skepticism uh, about that fit now they also you know they don't really have a three so far who's going to be like needing the ball or anything like that either so you know there's plenty of shots to go around uh, on this team right now Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know 
that you came from us. Oh, um, let's talk about some of the other rookies here. Who do you want to hit first? Uh, we can go to Shangun. I'll bring Shangun because they're super high on him. He's that's a phenomenal. Do, do you talent. agree? That I, I've always had this theory that in three years, Christian Wood is going to walk and Alperin and Shangun is going to be their, their starter. Um, yeah, and I, I might be the only one that thinks that, but. No, I, just, I actually, I, I could, I could totally see that. I mean, they're I, super I, high on him. Like, he, yeah, like they're, 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 they consider themselves lucky to have him fall to. Because you remember all the mocks coming out, he was going 10, 11. He wasn't. I, I, he was like, I think he was sixth on my personal board. Exactly. Like that's a people were super high on him because you, when you have those international bigs that have played in overseas leagues and at a young age playing professionally that can pass the ball at that, at that level and can see the floor have a knack for the ball that's that's something you want to bring to your team and he's already shown flashes of and even more than flashes he's shown that he can playing in his nba he just defensively is going to take some time because he's, he's skinny he's undersized big um the shot's going to have to improve um but everything else like he, he's, he's a hustler he's a, he's a fighter he's someone that that gets the guys going and just he's just a, a crafty quirky guy and and you can see some Scola in him. You can see some Sabonis in him. You can see some Jokic in him. It's all there. They just need, you know, the right seasoning, the right number of reps, the right development playing with those guys. And that's why it's important for an assistant coach like Desanya Job that's working with him every day, trying to get him to that level and, and being able to craft him into a, uh, an NBA caliber um, big man. Well, I've been extremely impressed by him. And, you know, some yeah. of that, I'm sure, is self-fulfilling prophecy because I was high on him before the draft. <laughs> but, but the guy, I mean, so far, I'll put it this way. I don't think he's done anything that would cast a pal on those pre-draft evaluations, right? Like, he, no. I mean, the guy, he's so. just got that, like, offensive magic and feel, you know, yeah. whether it's beating guys on the fake DHOs or just, like, quick hook shots, spin moves either over either shoulder. Right. You know, he, he's, he still has some holes <clears> in his game, like you said, like the shooting is kind of more still potential right. uh you know his left hand finishing around the rim is not great although he could he could it's weird he could shoot a hook shot with his left hand but he won't like shoot a layup with his left hand um you know so there are definitely some things there that he's got to work on but i mean you can see why he was so productive in it at turkish league that i was told by mike schmitz on this show a, a few months ago was kind of down but it's still you know he's playing against men uh as you mentioned so yeah i mean i'm just uh, and actually he's been better defensively i would say than i expected with his right. hustle recognition verticality i mean you recognize the physical tools are a little limited you know he's not Jokic sized where with you know this seven three wingspan and you know huge nine three standing reach so he's not that type of guy but he does he moves he tries um you know he he gets back into position he rebounds so all that i mean i've been impressed i think he's you know i don't know what his upside is as far you know because there are the defensive limitations but i mean they drafted the guy 16 you know so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say hey you know he's not a future defensive player of the year like it you know what, what are you doing with him i mean when you get someone at 16 that has the offensive potential that he does i think that, that's very impressive and yeah on you mentioned wood i've kind of thought that too because they there's a big inflection point with him after this season i mean they got did very well to get him on that deal his agent wanted to only do three years because i think he thought he was going to outperform the contract he has done that so far you might be at the point where they can't offer him high enough in an extension though for him to take 120 percent raise off of like the 13 million that he's making probably wouldn't be enough for him to want to do a four-year deal so you could have a situation where he's going to free agencies maybe not on the timeline of the team so you know you could see him maybe being a, a trade piece and one who could probably get something pretty decent back uh you know not because the organization doesn't believe him in but just because uh the contractual situation that they, they might be worried about it yeah and you know wood's situation is interesting because you know he moved the position he moved back to, to power forward you know they're starting ties at center to handle those 
bigger matchups. Um, they want Wood to be more of a on the ball threat. They're trying to train him to learn some more DHOs as the ball handler. He's doing some pick and rolls, pick and pops as the ball handler, um, being more confident driving the ball in transition, uh, setting other guys up. They want to turn him into a more versatile forward. And he averaged 20 and 10 um, off of pick and rolls and pick and pops last year around the basket. He complained last year about not being involved in the offense as much. And so I think this season switching to the four allows him to be more involved. Um, but um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, if he wants a max in a year's time, you know, is Houston in a position to be giving guys max contracts right now? I don't know. I don't think so. Um so it really comes down to, is he all in on this project? You know, is, is he committed to the cause? Is he is he wanting to be the big man of this team for the next, you know, four to five years, or six years? You know, I don't know at this point. But from all from all accounts, he he, he wants to be here. He wants to, to, to improve his game, must be an all-star, take his game to the next level, improve defensively. I think that's the big step for him. And kind of be the anchor along with Dan Tice uh, of this New Rockets defense. Yeah, you know, the, it's really interesting that he's moving to the four. I think you, I mean, you mentioned wanting a max and yet, you know, the per game stats, 20 and 10. Okay. That's superficially, but you know, he, it's not like he did it in the most competitive situation. You know, there's still, right. I think he answered some questions last year and obviously, you know, he well outperformed his contract, right. but whether he really is going to be able to contribute to a winning team at a high level is, is a real question for me. Um, but I think he's more valuable as a center personally, because if you have the offensive skill that he has spreading the floor and, and more importantly, having a spread floor around you where you're not playing with another center right. Tyson's shooting it a little bit but he's still he's still really more of a center likes to be around the basket so right. you know and then also to be able to protect the rim at a center level and be the anchor of a defense you right. know if he proves he can do that then yeah you know you are probably looking at a max player if he's like an above average defender and also has his offensive skills at the center position at the four yeah you know you kind of wonder right like i think like his advantage is being able to stretch out centers drive by them with his skill level his his quickness you know if he's guarded by the other team's four you know is he gonna have those advantages and then he tries to post up or whatever and there's too many guys in his way so i'm interested to see how that's gonna go so the thinking on on signing tice was just to boost the defense is that kind of the the thought right yeah it was because if you go back to last season he kind of struggled against those bigger matchups and whenever they brought in kelly olenic they kind of gave olenic those those jobs and that kind of showed them one that a, a dual big lineup could have some benefits, even though they only won 17 games. Um, bringing in a, a guy like Tice allows them to be more versatile, allows them to play a small when they want to. Um, there are lineups that would can still be at the five um, and still attack other guys. I think Houston is the only team that would put him at, at the four right now. I think any other team would put him as a big man to kind of spread the floor and be a mismatch. Um, but if they want to take that step defensively, like they've talked about all, all camp and all preseason long, having Tyson there makes sense. The minutes that they play together, we've seen some some glimpses. I'm not sure. It's similar to the to the Green and Kevin Porter thing. It sounds good on paper, um, but you have to see more games to, to really believe that that can work long term. Honestly, if I was a betting man, this is just me personally, I don't think that pairing is what it is at the end of the season. Tyson yeah. would. I, I think um, Tyson is better served with the second unit. If you're not trying to win games right now, if you're trying to develop guys, you start, you know, LP, maybe somewhere out to the trade deadline. No, who knows? I don't know. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, that's, it's that's just a thing in mind. Yeah. I'm just trying to see how, how it all fits together because, you know, what is a talented guy? Um, but, you know, the other stuff is what you have to do. Go back to Team USA. They had an opening. They picked Javale McGee over him. 
you know, that that, that should have been his time to 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 kind of take that next step. But he has to take those other steps defensively and and culture wise to to be that guy, that next guy that he wants to be. So this is a good year for him to prove that to everybody that he could do that. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're starting to to get to a, a little bit of a point here as we talk more uh, about this team. Well, actually, here, let, let's talk about let's do this first since we're on some individuals. Uh, any give me uh just you know 30, 30 seconds on your early impressions and, and expected role from Josh Christopher and Usman Garupi. You think those guys are gonna are gonna play much early on? I here? think I think Christopher can play. Um, he's been better so there's a ball a lead ball handler, um, able to surprise guys in transition. He's strong, six five, two fifteen. Um, he's quick. Uh, he's a gamer, uh, someone that's going to be a, a tenacious defender. Shot wide starts to improve the shot selection and you know when to pick his spots. But he's a young guy. He, he, his whole career, all he's known is being a gunner. So whenever you come to the NBA, you have to learn the other parts of the game. And being a lead ball handler, he's a different kind of point guard. If you want to put him as a point guard, but he's a different kind of type where he's more of a down downhill threat, uh, physical stuff like that. Kind of like a Brand Davis without the without the elite passing stuff like that. So. Um, I think I think for Christopher, he's gonna have to learn, and it's a crowded it's a crowded backcourt. There are not a lot of minutes for him to be had, honestly, this season. Unless injuries come up, because you have the Jalen Green, Christopher, you have the Jackson, you have Eric Gordon, you have other guys, you have Armani Brooks, you have um, who else is over there? But like there are guys that are that all play the same position in terms of guards and wings like that. So, um, I think he could see some time in the G League, just get some reps on his belt, some minutes. Um, but I, I, I like his game now. Garuba defensively. That guy's amazing. Um, he's just in the right spot at all, all times. Um, even though he's still undersized as well, um, still developing his corner three shot, developing his offensive game, and that's why I think he'll spend the most time in the gym because he needs to take a, a big step offensively and getting kind of get seasoned and, and learning in a similar system with the Vipers. I think that'll do him some good. But they have four interesting rookies that 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 you want to see in a reboot. You have guys that can go any direction. Uh, it's going to come down to the coaching staff and the trainers and the development team to put a plan together for the for the season and, and the future. But they're in a good spot. Yeah, uh, although I mean, you'd think at some point Garuba is going to get some time because he was yeah, playing should, for he was should. playing for a team in Real Madrid last year, getting real minutes on a team that you know maybe does have more talent than the Rockets. But like, if you put that team in the NBA, probably would have won more games than the Rockets did last. <laughs> last year and, and he was playing for them so i mean obviously that's not like the sole goal this year right. but i mean anytime a guy at that age you know at 19 gets minutes in the euro league like that right. I, I pay attention to it right i mean that's this is right. and this is the spanish league this is the euro league this is not the turkish league you know this is like you know the best league in the world outside of the nba that we're talking about here so yeah i right. he's a guy i haven't had a chance to really dig in on yet but a guy i'm really looking forward to seeing um who's gonna start for these guys so right now Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, Christian Wood, Daniel Tice. I, I think Jayshon Tate. Um, Eric Gordon has been in and out of the lineup. Um, House has been out. So I think Tate is the, the going to start by default. And honestly, it makes the most sense. If you want to develop those guys together, uh, he fits their timeline. Um, he's, he was all rookie last year, first team. Um, he's shown an ability to be an additional ball handling, additional uh, switchable defender. The shot, the shot needs to improve, shot 30% last season. But if he can get that up, to what, 33, 34%. Now he's more a more serviceable offensive option. He's still crafty around the basket. Good finisher. Um, a good driver. He's physical. So I think it's a good fit for him uh, playing with those guys as well to kind of help them as well. Because he, at times, he was the team's 
Kwanguard last season with all the injuries. He had to run the offense at times. Um, and that kind of helped his timeline as well. Um, I want to see how it all comes together. Um, I think this team defensively, it might be a nightmare at times. <laughs> We've seen at times in the preseason. Um, yeah. um, and that, that's going to happen. You know, you're, you're paying two different types of groups, a young group and then an older group. Someone that's still learning the defense himself. It's going to take some time. They're going to be some really bad games, I think. So people shouldn't be surprised. But they're going to be exciting to watch. There should be a league pass team. Um, people should tune in because they're going to be young and fast and explosive. So we'll see. Yeah, that three is really, for Steven Silas, that to me is going to determine a lot. Because if you play Jay Shantae at the three, Wood at the four, Tice at the five, yeah, you, you might actually have like a semi-decent chance of stopping. Like, a, you know, I think the backcourt's going to be really bad defensively. But it, you might have a shot, right? You see up some pretty good size, rebounding Tate can guard the best guy on the other team he was really underrated defensively for those who weren't watching him right. last year but I think you're really going to struggle to space the floor for these two right. young creators in Porter Jr. and Green I mean like Green is your best score but then also your best shooter as well like you don't that's not like a good combination where because you kind of need him to spot up to space the floor but you also are trying to put the ball in his hands well then you know Porter Jr. is not like an unbelievable spot up shooter Tate is bad you know Wood I would say is a plus shooter for the five but not for the four and Tice I would say is you know he's only okay as as a five so but as you mentioned like they need to actually stop someone if they're going to win games Eric Gordon to me if you're trying to win games right now would be the better fit um and you know Gordon because he can spot up from so deep you know that's something that he's been he based he and Ryan Anderson basically invented that spotting up from four feet behind the line back in that 16-17 season with D'Antoni and uh you know and Gordon is stout enough to kind of guard people uh you could showcase him a little bit for a trade as well because obviously he still doesn't doesn't fit here long term so i think if i were trying trying to develop these guys in the backcourt yeah defense is important but i think giving them the space to work with is right. more important from a developmental standpoint so i probably would start gordon but you know then there's the question of his availability and how many minutes he can play so i certainly right. understand if they went with with tate as well um yeah and house just is he kind of i mean i know he missed a lot of last year uh, is he just like not really in the mix right now like what's the story no no he, he's in the mix but to your point i do think that gordon and that's what happened in camp like gordon was yeah. gordon started the opening preseason game because right it, it makes the most sense for a winning standpoint in the space or whatever. Um, House still in the mix as well. Um, originally, I thought House would have been the starter, you know, because he's more of the balanced. If you want to classify Gordon, Tate, and House as your three Pokemon, I think House is the most balanced of the three. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a good flow spacer. He's a good defender. He's a good ball handler. Um, but, you know, you, it depends on what you're looking for. Um, if you want to bring that, if you want to have size in that second unit, then it makes sense to bring in House off the bench with Tate, or Kevin Martin Jr., you know, stuff like that. You can even go small, put him at the, you know, there, there are different options that they have. Um, but I think, yeah, House is still in the mix for sure. Um, they just have a lot of guys um, in that kind of stable uh, athletic wing. Yeah. All right. So backup point guard, DJ Augustin, you think? Yes, I think uh, he has been impressive in camp and preseason just from uh, getting guys together standpoint. He's going to be influential for Kevin Porter Jr. learning the position, um, holding guys accountable. You still need, you have a young group, but you still need guys that will hold guys accountable in the locker room. Um, we need a veteran leader. It, it should have been John Wall, but you know, we saw what happened over there. So I think Augustine is, is it good for that role. Um, I think he's on a three-year deal. Yeah. 
for your deal. So he, he should be there for a little bit. Um, and it's a good fit. Yeah, he's got a year a year left next year. That's a, a non guarantee. I think he's got like about a million of his seven million guaranteed right. next year. Uh, yeah, and so and he does provide some of that shooting. So I mean, my hope is that they do end up staggering Porter Jr. and Green, and Porter Jr. can play a little bit of yeah of the two as well. Um, you know, because Augustine is a guy with his shooting and ability to set guys up. You know, right. a defensive liability, but you know, they're ultimately this season is more more about development. And then you know, you mentioned Gordon at the two. Their depth chart, Josh Christopher. You know, is he? We'll see. I kind of don't see him playing that much at the start of the season. Yeah, I don't see him playing that much this season. Yeah, no, we'll see. Um, you know, and Ar- Armani Brooks is someone who you know I think did impress a little bit. You know, again, you never want to go crazy on what guys do for these teams that are just playing out the string and going six and thirty-five in their last forty-one games. But you know, he hit some shots, and they they did this nice little cap maneuver to convert him into a two-way, and then convert him back into an NBA contract. Um, so you know maybe he'll get some time down the end of the year just to, as like he, he basically like he's undersized he's a, shooter he's a, he's, yeah he's the best shooter on the team so I, I yeah. this team finished what was it second to last in three-point shooting last season so yeah and, and second to highest in uh number of three-point shots taken too <laughs> that equals 17 wins right there <laughs> yeah yeah man I just love American Giant just an amazing clothing company I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then I get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so I was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket even when it was cold outside things are amazingly durable I proposed my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago I still own that same hoodie I still wear it constantly and American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so um yeah and then tate i guess the the thought if he doesn't start he's gonna kind of move between the three and the four you think or they see him as, as yeah more three at this point uh so he t- he's gonna toggle three or four maybe some small ball five at times you know depending on foul trouble and stuff like that um but yeah i think he can play either of those front court positions because of his size really yeah and, and again we don't have to go through all these guys because we're running short on time we got to get to predictions here but uh you know kj martin david nawaba you know we those are those are guys you know you think at some point they'd want to take a look at in the rotation and that's you know that those are guys are all you know even at, at the three and then you know garuba and shangun coming off the bench at the four and the five as well i imagine they'll want so I, and they and now as, as we get into kind of what this team is going to be 
me one concern that i have is that they're just a lot of mouths to feed that's what on I'm, this yeah. team you know yeah. daniel yeah. house is in the last year of a contract that he probably thinks he's underpaid at three years 11 million you know he wants to reestablish himself he's probably going to want to score he frankly he might be better at scoring than some of these younger guys are just to, yeah. due to how long he's been around right. um you know eric gordon is a, a proud veteran he's not going to want to sit on the bench he wants to play well and get the hell out of here with the trade and <laughs> Uh, you know, so they want to play uh, Augustine, you know, and then they have a bunch of young guys. The point of this rebuild, obviously, is to develop these young guys. And, you know, then you also got Christian Wood, who, as we mentioned, like he's going to be angling for a contract extension. And, you know, who knows whether he's going to want to stay in Houston or not. You know, there's this will be an important time for him. And you still have uh, Shangun, who is a guy who, when he comes in, like he's going to be shooting and he should be shooting. So that that's a little bit of a concern. And as we go through it here, you understand a lot more why they just ended up having John Wall not even play this right. year because it's, that would have just been nuts. Yeah, yeah. Been nuts, so. now how many of these guys are actually going to be like good at shooting and scoring and and take advantage of their playing time you know that's that's another question uh, yeah. as well um i guess we should probably say this before we get into predictions what do you see as like the crunch time lineup for these guys the the best five question. that stevens i mean they're going to try to win some games at least early in the season the best five that steven size put out there to try to win a game at the end kevin Jalen, christian eric and house you you wouldn't put tate in that group i, I think i would i would probably put oh, oh I, I, house or tate like it depends on yeah. what you're looking for if you need right, you know right. what i'm saying like it, that's what i'm saying this it's like picking pokemon like whatever you need like house or tate you can go either yeah. way um yeah, yeah tate or house tate before yeah, yeah, that's my close lineup. Yeah, no, that w- that would be really interesting. I think. Um, yeah, and that's and, and obviously, you know, Porter and Green are just going to be out there because they're going to be out there. You know, so that maybe that wouldn't be the absolute best lineup that the, to have, <laughs> there, but at the start. But obviously, that that the, they need to be out there. That's just going to be the case. Um, any like big strengths and weaknesses for this overall group that that pops out to you? But, I think uh, there's one strength is their pace that they want to play with. Not right now. It's still a work in progress, but I think their pace will be a strength of theirs. They better surprise some teams just with how fast they are on the open floor. If they manage to get, if they manage to get defensive stops, then it's going to be, you know, a horse race. Um, Weaknesses is going to be rotations. Their the rotations have not been good in the preseason. Um, it's, whenever they had, you know, guys like PJ Tucker or Reza, you have guys that are going to bark those orders and get guys organized. They don't have yeah, that right d- now. Defensive rotations, you mean? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's been a struggle. Um, I think though that's going to be their biggest thing. They give up a lot of dunks, a lot of a lot of backdoor cuts, a lot of wide open threes. Uh, go back to the Wizards game. The Wizards shot awful that game, but they <laughs> they had any look they wanted, they got it. So um, that's going to be the biggest challenge for this young team, how to learn how to be a cohesive defensive unit, Um, having to learn those principles, how to learn how to communicate on the fly in real time at a breakneck speed is, is kind of hard. So, you, and especially without a bona fide defensive stalwart that can, that's a vocal, you know, it's kind of hard. So that's, that's going to be the biggest weakness. Three-point shooting might be another weakness as well. Um, it's, 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 it's not going to win a lot of games. I don't, I don't think people should be, I know we're getting your predictions, but yeah. um, weaknesses biggest is going to be defensively and yeah. their strength is going to be their pace and athleticism. Yeah, I would say their rebounding should probably be pretty good. Like the Shangun, you got two bigs in the 
the starting lineup. So, you know, they yeah. might be able to get on the offense glass a little bit. Um, you know, they at least their depth will be better, at least at the start of the year than it was last year. Now, they, they, some of that was just the organizational mindset after the Harden trade and after Wood went down. Right. Uh, and some of it was just that they had a million injuries as well. It was just no one was paying attention to how bad some of these injuries were. So, but they do at least have, I mean, now some of these rookies are not going to be good. So I'm not going to say they have like great depth in that respect, but they at least like, right. you know, they're not going to just be playing out the string with guys that just don't matter to the organization right. at all. You know, I mean, you got even having you know, guys like Martin and Garupa who are interesting players uh, who are, you know, pro- don't necessarily project to be in the rotation right away right. Right. as well. You know, they didn't necessarily have that last year. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the shooting. I think that could be, there are a few lineups they could get to that would have enough shooting. You know, if they're going to play Augustin or Gordon, you know, that closing lineup you mentioned, it's not bad. Uh, you know, and we'll see, I'm very interested to see how green and Porter jr. Shoot the ball right. as well. Um, you know, green has flashed to be a pretty good shooter in the G league and that's probably his best skill right now, but he's also, he's not like a huge, like spot up guy right now. Either he's, he's, he wants the ball. Like he's not going to space the floor for others. Right. Tice it, it would, those guys are, you know, they might be okay. They, maybe they won't be. Um, yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, the weaknesses. Um, this would be a tough job for Steven Silas because he's got, <laughs> as we mentioned, like there's a lot of guys who really want to be in this rotation. A lot of people who need the ball, but a lot of young guys who don't know what the hell they're doing. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be really difficult to like get everyone to buy in, to defend, uh, avoid their individual agendas and actually, you know, really try to win games at least here at the start. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk predictions here. Um, You know, they really struggled bottom five, both on offense and defense. Do you see either of those categories, the offense, or the defense taking a major step forward from last year? Where did they finish offensively last season? All right, so let me get it in front of me here. I on offense, they were 27th, 20, and on yeah, defense, they're 28th per uh, uh, cleaning okay. the glass. Their so. offense, I think they'll get to borderline bottom third. So, like 20th, yeah. maybe 2019. Defensively, mm-hmm. no. It's going to be there. Um, maybe they can get up to 24, 23 defensively, but I wouldn't bet my money on it. Um, this is going to be a struggle, like I said, for Styles and the, that staff. Like, you just, you just have, they're, they're kids. And a lot of your defense is going to be how well your back can hold up. Um, yeah. And so it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, I agree with you defensively. I have them in, in a tier. I usually try to rank all the teams at the start of the year. And, you know, don't, don't take this to, to your local uh, betting parlor because uh, this has not historically been that accurate. But just trying to game it out, I have them with Sacramento and OKC as, you know, the among the three worst defenses in the league. Now, it could be better than that. Like, I that's I, I acknowledge because they have some players who can defend. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what Silas is as a defensive coach. I'm kind of giving him a pass for, for – last year though going six and 35 under any circumstances is not amazing but you know again they weren't they did not have a good roster out there um but yeah i mean i think just the circumstances the mentality of a lot of the players involved the rotations uh in terms of who's playing are going to be inconsistent and then also they look like crap in the precinct as you mentioned so yeah i think they're gonna be pretty bad yeah offensively kind of same thing I, I do still worry about the shooting though 
I give them if I was going to say one of the two is going to be better. I agree with you that it would be the the offense uh, as right. well. But there are also a lot of good offenses out there, and, and then, yeah, ultimately, yeah. yeah, ultimately they're not trying to win this year in the end. And I think you know they have their draft their own draft pick this year, and they have their own draft pick next year. And so I'm sure the thought is, hey, by the end of next year, that's when we want to be. You know, maybe we're still a rebuilding team then, and then we want to make that big step forward in 23-24. So you know, I still and also I don't think that Gordon and House are necessarily going to finish the season on the team um and those are maybe their two best spot up guys from the outside who, who are vets uh so i i do think there's gonna and then you just look at it of like who are the efficient creators like i'm just not sure that kpj and, and green can get there They're, those guys are going to take a lot of shots and you know they're probably not going to go in at, at that great of a rate so i'm thinking you know they're kind of in the 26 to 28 range but you know i could see them getting ahead of a team like toronto or san antonio but above that you've got like miami new york York, Sacramento, Charlotte. Yeah, like, so probably twenty. Those yeah, are teams. Bring that down. Yeah, yeah, those are like real teams that are trying to win so you know some of these teams could suffer injuries and just fall below them but i think as i assess their talent i think it's probably still bottom five in the league uh as an offense group despite yeah. the fact that they'll be really interesting to watch and i think they will have nights where they look good all right. um all right you want to you want to uh go first here on predictions or, sh- or should i go first for number of wins this year i'll say vegas had a 25.5 right <laughs> Uh, that is correct. Twenty five and a half. Yesterday, I I I said yes to over slightly. Um, I still think they can get to twenty. 26 27 win. I think they can get 27. It's gonna it's gonna be a 10 win improvement is a lot for a young group. Um but last season was just just that was just nonsense. Like <laughs> there was just signing guys off the street at one point that could just had a pulse. Um uh, it's gonna be tough. Um my opening night I might even go back on my pick. So <laughs> Uh, right now, I'm, I'm gonna say yes, 26, but um, it's 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 shaky, 26. Yeah. Now, I, obviously, they it was only a 72 game season that they won the 17 a year ago, so they, they do have 10 more games to win more games. But uh, you know, in terms of their point differential, they had the expected win to- uh, total or point differential with 21 expected wins over 82 uh. games. So yeah, to get to 26, it would have to be a five game improvement. And they did they did have a, a brief period, you know as bad as the hardened period was like they did win a few games during that uh and then they also had that period where i think they went five and five and then wood went down and the, and the bottom fell out and they only won seven games the last the rest of the year um you know i think they closed uh seven and 44 wow. <laughs> so i don't think it's going to be that bad this year um i did go with the under and actually when danny and i did it at the start of camp we did uh, the under was of 25 and a half was one of my best bets i don't feel quite as strongly about that now but i just i do feel again that there's there's a lot of optimism because of the talent but also you know they still this is an organization that knows how the lottery odds work uh you still like the tanking is not as bad but also by being one of the worst teams you limit your downside right like you're not going to get bumped all the way down to eighth if teams go above you if you have the worst record then you the worst you can be is fifth right so that's it's really more about limiting your downside even than it is you know because the odds are pretty flat as far as actually jumping into that top four right um and so you know i do think by the end there will be 
you know, they're not, I, I don't see them doing what Minnesota did last year where like, you know, they're going to go 500 over the last 20 games or whatever. So yeah. uh, I, I do, will still go with the under. I'll say I'm not as confident about it because, you know, as we go through, they do have some NBA players. It just, it just doesn't seem like that's what's happening here to, right. to try to win a lot of games. And, you know, especially because they're now maybe the one thing that could, and I think there's going to be some competition down the end of the year with OKC and Orlando, you know, maybe Cleveland falls into that category as well uh to be among the worst records so i I think that could drag them down so i think i'm gonna go with 24 win uh for this group and you had 26 and 27 or 26 to 27 yeah um yeah i don't know any any reaction to that but before we get going here or um yeah i think it's like there's a surprise game or two in there in that season somewhere and that's, that's why i think they can get to the over um if they stay healthy, we'll see then, some games where yeah. KPJ goes off or Green goes off, and you know, then they're pretty competitive on those nights, right? Uh, I think. All right, man. Well, where can we keep up with uh, everything you're doing on these young rockets this year? Um, you know, su- subscribe to the athletic. Um, there's a great sale going on right now. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Kelly Eco NBA. Um, shoot me an email, or whatever you want to talk hoops, and let's talk. I'm always around. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, and and uh, it's gonna be fun. You know, you do a great job. Obviously, get getting to know these guys, and uh, you know, especially there's gonna be some interesting personalities in this locker room for us all to right. get to know <laughs> over the course of uh, you know the for next sure. five years. And hopefully, this will be a, a pretty good team over that time. And we look forward to reading your coverage. So, thanks for joining for sure. us. Thanks, man. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, it's time to talk to the man of the hour, the man who has discussed the Philadelphia 76ers and the Ben Simmons situation in every possible way, except on this podcast. Uh, but also, we're going to spend a lot of time on actually talking about real basketball. Uh, we will hit the Simmons situation because that's required to figure out what the hell these guys are going to be this season. Um, so is the fact that he is almost certainly not vaccinated, is that just like the cherry on top of this Sunday? I mean, look, I have not had anyone from the team or from Simmons camp tell me that. Uh, Ramona Shelburne, 
came out and laid out the health and safety protocol, um, which basically stated that when you return to a team, you have to go through two um, negative COVID tests. Uh, okay, backing up, if because I don't have Ramona's report in front of me. Um, but basically, I, I, I've got it. Basically, like you, if you are vaccinated, all you need is one negative COVID test to join. Right. The team. And if you are unvaccinated, and, you got to go through all of these protocols with testing, and then you ramp up, which is what two workout. negative tests, and then you yeah. can do individual workouts, and then two more negative tests, and then you can rejoin the team. So Ben Simmons came back. Uh, he came back uh, Monday evening, had his first COVID test then. Doc Rivers then on Wednesday told us that he was able to, he was cleared to do individualized workouts on Wednesday, which Monday, Tuesday, there's your two tests. And that the earliest he could join his teammates would be Friday, which there's again, Wednesday, Thursday, there's two more tests. Um, Ramona basically told you two plus two equals four. Assuming two plus two does in fact equal four in this case, that is the only way, the only way Simmons wouldn't be cleared to join his team by Wednesday would be if he was unvaccinated. Again, that is not me reporting it. That is taking the public reports and Doc Rivers' public comments and adding two and two together. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yep. So, I mean, and some people who are just like utter denialists are like, well, you know, he was at Wimbledon. Uh, You know, okay, yeah, you could get in there if you had a negative test. And, oh, well, you know, what if he actually has COVID right now? Maybe that's what it is. Well, okay, well, then he wouldn't be ramping up the clear on Friday yep. workouts right now. So, I mean, there is basically. And by the way, the fact that he was at Wimbledon just infuriates me even more. Like, we, <laughs> so, we don't really need to get into a. And, and someone has even posited that maybe he is vaccinated, but he's just telling the Sixers that he's not vaccinated just to be even more annoying, which ultimately, I guess, from the Sixers standpoint, it doesn't matter which of the two of those is actually true. Uh, but- I mean, that would be an all timer. Uh, I guess I can't confirm. I can't confirm that he is unvaccinated. I can only add two and two together. But that would be an all timer if that was the case, which yeah. we're pretty close to all timer anyway, because like the dude literally just showed up at the front door and said, knocked and said, I'm here. So everything about this is already weird. So why the heck not? Let's throw that out as a possibility. He, he took the first COVID test in the fucking parking lot of the arena during the game. It's insane. Like I almost so I was at the Sixers practice facility today. I was going to take a picture of it and then tweet it out. Hey, Elton, I'm here. Let me in. And then pretend that, oh, that was a mistake. I didn't mean to send that as a tweet. This is just like everything about this is utterly absurd to the fact that you can't help but joke about it because, I mean, he showed up unannounced before a game. It's just, I don't know. Well, all right. So as we get into talking about what happens here with the Sixers, the next inflection point is, all right, is he actually going to play number one? Then is he going to not suffer left hamstring tightness that caused him to play 25 games? As Jimmy Butler would say, general soreness. Yep. Yes, General Soreness uh, was uh, on a great pension, getting paid by the government. He's been brought out of retirement. Uh, so then, is he actually going to play hard? Because as you and Rich have talked about many times on your excellent Sixers Beat podcast, that a Ben Simmons who is not playing hard is you know a very very it's, negative player. It's LSU Ben Simmons, except now going up against pro athletes. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the real knocks on him at LSU was that he didn't give one shit on defense. Uh, he came in the NBA. That was a complete one eighty. That's the one thing he could really bank on. If he goes back to that, then. Yeah, that will be uh, interesting to watch. Well, he was also a better offensive player at LSU than he is now. Sure, because he's going against much lesser competition. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yep. he, was, he was also willing to, willing to shoot. Um, all right. So, well, and- if you really want to get into it, you can go back to his his high school days and his um 
you know, interna- or, or national team days, By the way, I'm very which glad you saw in person. I'm very glad we're recording this on Zoom since we're getting to see uh, see the cat, which is awesome. <laughs> Hopefully my cat will show up. We both have black cats, actually. Uh, but all right, let's uh, so and then there have, obviously there's the possibility he gets traded as well. So yep. obviously many permutations of the Ben Simmons experience. But what do you expect to happen now? Again, with this being total speculation, but if you had to say, like, how is this going to go from here on out? What's your best guess of, of that as far as like what Ben Simmons contributions are going to get? My my best guess is he comes back. He is with the team until December when a trade eventually happens. Now, what does that mean? Does he actually play in games? I think probably he does eventually, but I don't know that. Doc Rivers, quite frankly, said he didn't know that the other day. But I think he comes back, joins the team. I don't think Daryl Morey trades him here in the next couple of days or even weeks. And I think at some point, Ben Simmons is going to say, you know what? I'm here. Maybe if... I, truthfully, I don't know. He is a, a tough individual to read. I it, it, I say that, and even as I'm saying that, I can't imagine him playing in front of Philadelphia fans again, but I don't think this is going to be resolved. I think if, if Ben Simmons truly thought that this would be resolved in the next week or two, he would have continued his holdout. I think he's now come to the realization this is going to ha- go on until at least mid-December, maybe even towards a trade deadline, and he's just sort of got to make the most of it. So my best guess is he's around the team at least for another, what, two months, and plays again, which seems so weird because this is one of those situations where it does seem like a line was crossed. It does seem like they crossed the Rubicon. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, whatever analogy you want to use. It seems like we passed that a while ago, but I think he almost has to walk back because the dude's got no leverage and four years left on his contract. And is like, trade me at the worst trade time of the year. So I think, I think we do get to December with him on the roster. Yeah, I, I would agree with that aspect of it for sure. You know, some people have said, Hey, what he should do is come back and play really well. And that will facilitate him getting out of town. Do you buy that? No, um, because I think right now, most of the, the reason a trade doesn't happen, I think is mostly external forces. I think if he comes back and is playing like normal Ben Simmons, would I have like a, a minor change in his trade value? Maybe because you can override some of the you know last thoughts. We're all prisoners to last thoughts to some degree. But I think by and large, teams have a, a very defined um, belief of who and what Ben Simmons is as a player. Like I said, that might change a little bit based on if he comes back and plays well. But I think that's mostly going to change based on the market forces and the Sixers leverage. Uh, and that's just going to change by being on the roster for a little bit. A team getting an injury, a team not being as good as they hoped. Uh, some general manager under pressure, just more players being available to trade um, because of the the league rules. I think those are the driving forces in the likelihood of a trade and whether he comes back and plays, unless he just completely shocks us all and is taking three threes a game, which nobody, nobody believes is going to happen. That's the only way he would really change his trade value materially. Other than that, I think it's going to be mostly outside forces. I agree with that to some extent. Uh, but to me, I think if he comes back and plays really well, that actually gives Philly more leverage in these discussions to hold out for more. It gives them the alternative to just not trade him at all and wait until next offseason, even potentially. If he's really playing well, it's like, you know, yeah, it, it looked like last playoffs, like, all right, we got to get him out of there. Like, this is terrible. He can't play another game for this team after the pass. But as of right now, with they've tried to trade him. They're not able to. The market for him isn't as robust probably as either Daryl or Ben Simmons would have thought it was. And so now maybe, hey, let's be a top three seed in the East and go into the playoffs with a fighting chance. And maybe Ben will, you know, not just totally have his head fucked 
fucked up. You know, you can at least talk yourself into that during the regular season. That option doesn't seem as bad if he really wanted to come back and play hard and just, you know, win a bunch of games with the Sixers this year. Like, but I'm saying, why do that? Why even give Philly that option of kind of holding on to you, feeling like you can hold out for a higher price? I think you just, you either come out there and you play like shit or you suffer an injury or something like that and hope that Philly sucks and Daryl comes off asking price. Because you, you said it's mostly external forces and I agree, but I also think that Daryl is not acknowledging the reality of external forces, which may never change. And Daryl may even know that they may never change, but he doesn't want, he, he would rather hold out for the 25% chance that you change. Yeah. Uh, and I think he, there's some belief that it will change just by time of year. Uh, I think he does view that. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, going back to your point, I, I think the way that um, Ben can make sure that he gets off the team is by loafing it, is by being a distraction. I've always said, like, if he wanted, like, there's points where he has, uh, you know, his, his, the amount of pressure he can apply, the leverage that he has comes and goes. And one of the points that he could ha- apply pressure to get this done quicker was at media day and begin a training camp uh, when this was a huge distraction. The other point of pressure is if the Sixers come out and Joel Embiid has an injury or if they're just not as good enough, if Tyrese Maxey isn't ready, if they look like they're going to drop to six, seven, eight in the Eastern Conference standings, uh, then they might be a little more incentivized to get help while they can, especially if Ben Simmons is either loafing it or holding out. So I agree in terms of of where he can make sure this happens within the next couple of months, certainly before December. I think him coming back and either acting out and being a huge distraction or just not playing and then potentially stumbling out of the gates is the best play for him just to get off of the team. I just don't think he really has a personality to make himself the center of attention when he's there. I don't think he's going to want to be a huge distraction because I just don't think that's who he naturally is. You know, it, it's yeah. it's almost a little passive aggressive where I think he's OK, sort of like being the talking point or being a distraction when he's away from the situation. But I'm not sure he can embrace conflict the way he would need to to be Jimmy Butler. And by Jimmy Butler, I don't mean be- taking a third team and, and beating Joel, because quite frankly, he can't. And if he could, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but also because I just don't think he has that personality in him. No. And that's probably why they went with this holdout thing, which was just a bad, straight up a bad strategy, I think uh, at the beginning, but I think they just felt like, you know, Ben is just not, he, he's just so conflict averse. It seems like that. I don't yeah. you know. May, is he so conflict averse that he's going to like actually come back and play hard for them? Like is, if he's in the building, like he just, he can't even deal with that level of stuff. You know, that's, I mean, this is- he, he might though, because I think there's an ego thing too, where I think he really took pride in being in that defensive, defensive player of the year conversation. <clears throat> and if he comes back and loafs it, I think people are going to call him out for loafing it. And I think there might be a little bit of an ego where he might just try based on competitive because for all you'll say about Ben Simmons and all we'll all say, like clearly there's a huge fear of failure and an unwillingness to really embrace what he needed to work on to become an elite player. I also think there is a competitive spirit on the defensive side of the court that he does take pride in. So will he be willing to deal with everyone talking about how horrible he's been on defense and how he's checked out? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, then again, he was fine dealing with it at LSU. So probably, probably. Okay. So uh, what would your advice be to the six? Last question on him before we actually get into like talking about the real team. What would your advice be to Daryl Morey and the Sixers uh, on how to handle this? Not that they need your advice, but you know, we're, we're uh, well, and also not that I've ever had to deal with it. Um, the great thing is you and I get to talk about it and I can throw out suggestions and I can wash, wipe my hands of it and walk away. Uh, that is, <laughs> is why being in the media is fantastic. 
look, I, I think from Daryl's perspective, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the day-to-day reality of a payer, player who's being a pain in the ass. So his perspective, I think mostly do what you're doing, like just wait it out, get to December, get to even closer to the trade deadline, see if something else with another team changes and react based on that. Uh, from yeah. Doc Rivers perspective, I think it's a lot more difficult because I think, first of all, Doc has to own up to the portions of this that are his fault. And look, I don't think Doc's comments at the end of the season are the reason, you know, where basically he was asked whether or not he thinks he can win a championship with Ben Simmons as his point guard. And he said, I don't know. I don't think that's the reason that we're here. I think the uh, James Harden trade discussions last summer are a bigger driving factor in that. I think just a general belief that he believes he can be better by himself without Joel Embiid is a, a, a bigger part of it than Doc's comments. I think, quite frankly, returning to Philadelphia in front of the fans are is a bigger part of it than Doc's comments. But I think Doc's comments are a factor into it. And from what we've seen uh, pr- publicly from Doc, I don't think he has necessarily owned up to that. He certainly hasn't owned up to that from the media. I, he, you know, he, I think he's got to be willing to admit a little bit of a mistake here and admit that he misspoke a little bit. And, and I think he's got to try to mend that fence, mend that relationship, because he is going to have. They're going to have to live in the same room here. I think for at least. Two months. Um, so I think he's got to I think he's got to try to mend that a little bit. Well, well I don't know if you've heard that the Sixers are, are trying to convince Ben that they still want him here long term. Yeah, heard that? I have I have heard that. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that. Uh, look, I think I think one of the problems with, well, with well, I, I buy that they might be trying to convince him that uh, it's not sure because you ha- they might try yeah. to convince him. Well, and look at Daryl Morey's history, right? And Daryl's been in this league for a long ass time. Yeah, he's always going to be looking for those top ten kind of players. And what's the one way when you saw Daryl come in, you said, "All right, you have Joel Embiid, who at the time was probably borderline top ten, now is in the top 10. You've got him locked in. How are you going to get that second top 10 player? Because Daryl's philosophy is always that these superstar players have an outsized impact that is still probably a, like it's, it's a market inefficiency. Like if you get them, it's more important than anything else, anything else you can replace. So you look at it and you say, all right, well, six up Ben Simmons, a couple of young players who might have a little trade value and most of their draft picks all at the time they had to trade one to get rid of Al Horford, but they still have most of their draft. But you knew Ben Simmons was going to be front and center to any trade whenever a superstar became available. That happened two months into Daryl Morey running the team. And I think correctly, I think Ben Simmons camp looked at and said, that's going to happen again. Like, there's no way this isn't going to happen again. Uh, So I think, yes, Daryl Morey is going to try to trade him again. I think that was going to happen whether or not Ben Simmons requested out. And I'm saying this knowing full well that I might get a text from Daryl Morey later tonight. But I think there's no doubt in my mind, Daryl Morey was going to try to trade Ben Simmons, no matter how much he denies it, because that is his that was his pathway to getting a second top 10 player. Uh, So, yeah, I think they're going to try to convince him. I don't buy that Ben is here long term almost irrespective of what Ben does. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it could end up like one of these things where, you know, you had a messy breakup and then both of you went on a few dates and you realized that neither of you could get anyone as good as the other one. Yeah. You know, maybe it would end up that way. I don't, I don't think that's particularly likely, likely though. And, you know, I do think it's kind of under discussed that, and Ben, I think again, has kind of lost the PR battle on this. Maybe they don't care about that, but I think honestly, like, like I, for a time I was more really on his side because that's absolutely true. What you said that he it was just a matter of time before he's going to get traded and particularly after the pass obviously uh and sure. you know not just that everything else Jay, with it at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
Um, what are the no, other? No, I mean, look, yeah, of ahead, all the things, of all the things Ben has done, and I think the way he's handled, it, and I, I've talked about this before. I think sort of like the way the NBA is set up. In order to get traded, you almost have to act out to a certain degree. Um, I think he loses a lot of sympathy because of the way that he melted in the second round of the playoffs, and the way the fact that he has four years left on his contract, and just the fact that um, you know he has thrown a lot of people here sort of under the bus in that regard. Of late, not him, but you know the leaks from his representation to the media. But the the one thing I can totally understand from his perspective, I can understand how being involved in trade rumors would impact you and impact your happiness and your desire to be in a city with an organization, with an employer. And look, can you and I rationalize? Yeah, but that was for James Harden. Sure. It's not my life that's being upended by a potential trade. And I do think Daryl Moore, it is reasonable to look at Daryl Moore's history and say, well, that that, James Harden almost happened. That trade will almost happen again in the future. Let's go to a place that wants me as a franchise player. I'm not sure there are that many places that want him as a franchise player. And maybe that's the reality he's getting hit with right now. But from a human level, that is the most understandable aspect of his uh, request out that I can see. All right, well, let's move on from him. What have some of the other big storylines, or I'm sorry, some of the other medium-sized storylines been? Yeah, we don't we don't have camp. big storylines uh, outside of that, especially because <laughs> most of the team has been injured for most of the either injured or unavailable. You know, Joel Embiid played eight minutes there in game in the third preseason game. Bias Harris been missing most of it. Lee Stiebel's been missing most of it. Um, ben Simmons has obviously not been playing. So there hasn't been a whole lot of storylines on the team outside of that. I think the the where a lot of the shift goes is the young players the Sixers have in the backcourt who could potentially fill some of those minutes and fill some of that role. And that is mostly Tyrese Maxey, uh, the second year uh, point guard that is, you know, really their only real hope to have a um, pick and roll sort of dribble drive creator. And also, I think I think um, Isaiah Joe, who's been a sort of a revelation as a sharpshooter. I think those are probably the two main non-Ben Simmons storylines on the team so far. Yeah, I think was it? Did you predict? I can't remember what, whether it was that he would be a starter or that he would be in the rotation by this time next year. No, I I said starter, uh, and I, I immediately in that tweet I said don't save it or bookmark it or screenshot it because I know that that is a little bit outlandish. Um, because in part like that's going to come down a little bit to not only his development but also. So is Seth Curry still on team? Because it'd be really hard to start both of them with their body types. Um, but I think he will be a solidified rotation player, certainly by this time next year. Yeah. yeah and so uh, he's been pretty impressive coming off of screens, like versatility to his jump shot, getting up a ton of, ton of threes, which continued what he was doing it in summer league. You know, he does weigh a buck 70. So that's a little bit of a problem. Um, uh, as someone who attempted to play basketball at the high school level, weighing a buck 70, I can tell you it's rather difficult. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I don't buy that NBA. 170 for a second. Uh, I have stood next to him. I don't think he is 170 pounds. Uh, and yes, that is a definite concern for sure. <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit more about Maxi because there's going to be a ton of pressure on him. Uh, he was in and out of the rotation last year, but how realistic is it for him, them to get starter level of point guard play out of Tyrese? Good question. Because I, I'm not, I'm very confident in his upside to become a starting level point guard. I'm not sure if it's going to be ready in the first half of this year. And I think there's a, a bunch, you know, I think he's got a lot of skill, a uh, touch around the basket. I think he's got a pretty good pull-up game that he showed last year, um, mostly mid-range. I think he needs to grow as a creator and learning how to balance those. He has decent vision, but not exceptional vision. And he doesn't have necessarily the height to make every pass on the floor. 
And also he's got just all kinds of edges to his game, expanding that off the dribble three-pointer out to, th- out to the three-point line, that off the dribble jumper out to the three-point line, being able to and willing to absorb contact in the paint because he's never going to be an exceptional finisher because of his size. And the combination of all of those and just learning when to attack and, and, and when to facilitate I think he I think he's going to be very up and down if he's asked to do too much. Now, I think the Sixers are a pretty good spot because I think outside of Joel Embiid, they can put a lot of shooting, especially if Ben's not on the floor. They can put a lot of shooting around him now with George Niang. Uh, if if Isaiah Joe does, in fact, crack that rotation and stay there. If Furkan Korkmaz, who has his faults, but I think he's going to make shots, especially now that he's on a, a contract, I think they're going to give him every chance. They have a, a chance to put some shooting around him, and I think that'll help him. But if we're talking about especially like league average starting level point guard, I, I, I have my concerns. And really the fact that there just isn't anyone else outside of Ben Simmons on the roster right now. You know, when you start looking at the Sixers and who should be running the point, you've got, uh, assuming Ben doesn't play right now, you've got Tyrese Maxey and okay. But outside of that, your backup is sort of Shake Milton. And when Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons were all out, they ran with Furkan Korkmaz as their starting point guard in the third preseason game. And the amount of people you got to where you have to say like, well, can that player actually beat a full court press? It's really just Tyrese Maxey. So you're putting a lot of weight on his shoulders because if you look at that starting lineup, Seth Curry, Danny Green, George, um, Tobias Harris, George Yang right now because Tobias Harris is injured. Not many people can dribble the basketball there, mate. So you're putting a lot of pressure on that kid uh, when he, I think, still has a lot of holes in his game. And I think Tyrese Max is going to be a good player. And I think he's got a good good attitude and a good work ethic. But he does. He has just three or four different aspects where he has to pretty radically alter quickly and figure out the NBA game quickly, which if we were looking at this and saying, is he going to show flashes of being a legit quality starting point guard in this league? I think he's going to do that this year, but he's going to be able to do that on a night-to-night basis. I still have my concerns. No, I, I have concerns too. I, I, you would certainly be hard-pressed to rank him in the top 30 position coming in the league. And this is someone who I, I was impressed by what he did last year. I, I think he's got a future in the NBA, but he was in and out of the rotation last year. He was drafted number 21. Thanks, Mike Muscala. And so he's he's really, it's just a, a lot to ask. 53% true. It is. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, most players who would be 20 years old and getting kind of minutes that he will are doing it on bad teams where you're okay with their faults if they're showing their, their potential and their upside. He's in a, a pretty unique spot where he's going to have to play big minutes. And also he has to be efficient and effective and consistent. It's a lot to ask for a 20 year old who, who didn't play the position in college. So what do you think the rest of this uh, rotation is going to look like here? Uh, so we probably got Maxi and Curry starting at guard green and Harris at forward and Joel, you think that's starters? Yeah, for sure. Um, and like I said, Ben coming back and playing might change that a little bit. But if Ben comes back, I think you're just substituting Maxi for uh, for or Ben for Maxi. Yeah, I, as you noted too, like you know Ben Simmons doesn't really play point guard in the half court, but even just having someone who can push the ball in transition and bring the ball up and then go run to the dunker spot is actually a skill that they kind of need this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and they're lucky that there's kind of a mutual non-aggression pack during NBA regular season games to not really pressure too much. You know, maybe on the second units they will. Uh, and you know, we'll see how Shake it handles that. He's not amazing there either. No. But you know, and they've got Korkmaz and Joe coming off the bench. Thibel, like they they have. I would say you know Niang at the at the four is a fine backup for Andre Drummond at five. Uh, you know, so they have. I think without Simmons, like enough just overall NBA players and depth. But yeah, that just e- even bringing the ball up, and then also you're a little small as well outside of Joel Embiid without yep. Ben Simmons out there. So that's a concern. I mean, he he, I've been probably lower on Simmons than anybody 
over the years, but I acknowledge that he is a significant regular season loss for them if he's not playing. Yeah, and a significant regular season loss on, on, on really both teams just because outside of him, I mean, the Sixers, if you go through their roster and ask how many of those players are legitimate, like plus passers for their position, after you get to Simmons, you might not have another one. <laughs> I mean, maybe Joel Embiid at times, but that is still inconsistent. Tobias Harris is certainly not. Danny Green is not. Seth Curry is okay, but not a plus for either his position, but certainly not for his size when he's point guard size. Tyrese Maxey isn't a plus for his position. Again, not a bad passer, but not when you start comparing him to um, you know the position he plays. Isaiah Joe is okay, but very unproven. Matisse Thibel. So, so there's just not a lot of either ball handling or creativity. There's a little more ball handling on a second unit, but not a lot of creativity outside of Simmons. And then defensively, they clearly have, you know, I mean, they have Matisse Thibel, which is, is great. We'll see how long he can actually stay on the floor because of his offensive limitations. Um, but they just don't have, you know, they have a lot of one-way players and they have a lot of players who don't have a lot of versatility. And a lot of them are good at what they do, but without Simmons, there's just not a whole lot of versatility on either end of the court. So I agree with you. In the regular season, I think he is a, a definite loss. The playoffs, it obviously becomes a little bit murkier because you can scheme against his weaknesses, but the playoffs is a, a, a big loss if he's not there. Is there a case to be made that they're better on offense without him just because Joel is, will have so much more space to work, at least at least with the starters, although Ben played most starters last year? Yeah, um, probably not in part because I don't think defenses are going to respect Tyrese Maxey's shot right off the jump. Yeah. They won't disrespect it the way they have Simmons, obviously, but I don't think like he's off the ball. I think they will rotate off of him. And they don't really have too many others. I think that's why Doc at times experiments with Shake Milton starting with that point guard because conceptually Shake has a better shot and he's, you know, Shake is not a pure point guard. He will bring the ball up, flip it to Joel Embiid and then run to the corner, sort of like Ben rather than dunker spot, maybe extends the corner, but he will flip and run the way Ben does at times, but he will space the floor. So I think in that lineup, conceptually, they might have significantly more spacing, but I worry there that you just don't have the ball handling or the ability to really get out and push the, the ball in transition where I'm not sure it will be an overall net positive. I think that you can certainly say that Joel Embiid's individually might be able to be a little better, but I'm not sure the team will right now. No, I think that's reasonable. And then also transition. These guys are, are probably going to be pretty bad in transition now where Simmons really helped them with, with that. And they yeah. don't really have yeah. any, but Maxi, I guess, could maybe push the ball a little bit, but they don't really have people who are going to run with them. Uh, Simmons was probably, and I guess Thibault too, but Simmons is one of their bigger uh, guys forcing turnovers. So the, the They'll miss that aspect as well to, to get out into transition. So, yeah, and and then defensively also, they don't have someone who's going to be amazing at guarding quicker players than the other team. Like, you know, Green kind of failed in that role in the playoffs famously. And Thibault is, I like it more off the ball than on the ball, but he's going to have to really kind of be more the, that on-ball stopper now. And as you mentioned, his offense might keep him off the floor at least some of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just trying to put together what this team is going to be and how to compare it to last last year and it, it, do you think is there anything that they could legitimately better well I, I guess that's the question right I mean if Simmons is back they're kind of just the same team as last year and, and the podcast yeah, they're almost exactly this if, if Simmons is back the only real changes you have are um George Yang replacing Mike Scott's role and then you have Andre Drummond replacing Dwight Howard's role other than that they're almost exactly the same yeah and I think most of these guys you can expect to be the same or get better from an individual perspective yeah. I mean Joel was so good last year I guess maybe that's the one thing is like can he shoot as well for mid-range as he did yeah. last year that would be my one question is like is he going to be one of these guys who like shoots over 50 percent for mid-range because that was what made him just truly unstoppable last year and actually part of why I thought he in addition to the injury but part of why he wasn't 
as dominant in the playoffs, just being able to knock down those shots at a 50% clip. Yeah, no, I mean, there could be like Joel Embiid, and I think Joel Embiid made a, a, a legitimate jump in his skill level from the mid range, but he could take, if you go from where he was two years ago to where it was last year, there could be a middle ground there where he, yes, he improved, but he still regressed a little bit from what might be a career high last year. I think that's fair. And in terms, terms of regression, you could look at, you know, Danny Green could take another step back defensively, which especially if Ben Simmons isn't around, could be, um, could be more impactful. Uh, so yeah, there's a, but for the most part, I think most of the players you would look at, um, maybe Seth Curry, although I think Seth Curry had really found his groove playing alongside Embiid by the time the playoffs rolled around. So I think yeah. he might even be, uh, you might even be able to bank on him being better than he was last year. I think most players you would say are are likely to remain the same or get better outside of the one you noted with Embiid and the other one being green. Um. So, and then I guess also if they trade uh, Simmons, I, I guess it's just the Simmons thing as we go through this roster, right? If they could just trade him for CJ McCollum's been thrown out there, Daryl, I, I don't think he wants to do that. But, you know, if it were him and one more piece, you know, this team would probably be pretty damn good, right? I mean, I don't, are you picking them to beat the Bucks or Brooklyn in that sort of a con- configuration? Eh, maybe not. But, you know, I think you could argue that they'd be better than they were in the playoffs a year ago and things would kind of fit into place. But as we go through this, I, I'm just very concerned about some of the holes that they have without Simmons. And my working assumption is that they're not they're not going to get much from Ben Simmons sure. while he's around. I think that is probably fair. Um, which even a, a half checked out Simmons might help them more than not having him. But um, yeah, uh, look, I don't, this team is a a weird mix. You know, I think you're going to rely on Joel Embiid to be superhuman to get you to the December or December to February trade period while still being in contention. And the concern there, because I think Joel Embiid with a lot of spacing, I think the Sixers, he should be pretty well spaced around him. Uh, I think he will be very good. Uh, the concern is, does he miss time? Even n- not a serious injury, but just the typical Joel Embiid miss time that he goes through. Uh, and how are they possibly able to survive those games? Because if he, he misses a week or two, I don't necessarily see all that many people capable of stepping up in his absence. And that's where it becomes uh, concerning. Yeah. I mean, would it, would, let's say this team played with everyone, had all the same guys, no Ben Simmons, no Joel Embiid. What is that, like a 30 win team? I think it'd maybe defend okay, but, you know, would probably be close to worse in the league offensively. Uh, I think I'd probably be a little more optimistic than that. I think yeah. they could be fighting for a playoff spot, uh, but that's going to depend a lot on Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, uh, which or I mean, look, we don't we don't know what Tyrese Maxey is going to be. Um, so I think I think they could be a little better than that. But well, well I don't... So, no, to be clear, I was saying a team that had no Joel Embiid and no. Oh, 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 yeah, no, I completely yeah. misheard you. Uh, yeah, no, that would not be a, a good team. We could define as that 25 win, 30 win. I'm not sure, uh, but they would not be a, a good team for sure. Yeah, no, I, I did not hear the no Embiid part. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I thought you were pretty low on Joel Embiid then if you're making that. that no, that no, I'm for I mean, a little bit. Jo- okay. Joel Embiid was my permanent MVP last year. So, no, I'm okay. not low on, on what he can do in, in the regular season when he's healthy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
So any other, I I guess uh, I'm kind of struggling with how to do this because of like all the uncertainty with Simmons, but anything else that has kind of been a a playing time battle in camp or other things that the coaching staff has been talking about or that that you're particularly concerned about with these guys? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about the point guard spot if Ben isn't playing or if he's checked out. Uh, I don't necessarily, I don't have a whole lot of high hope for Shake Milton. And quite frankly, you know, if, if Ben plays and Shake and Tyrese Maxey's bumped back to the backup point guard, I'm not sure Shake Milton is in the rotation right now, which would be um, disappointing for a player I think a lot of people had a, a expectations for coming into last season. But I think that would be on merit. And if he, if Ben Simmons is not back, then you're relying on Shake Milton as your backup point guard. That would concern me quite a bit. You know, I think the Tyrese Maxey and how's he develop will be fun to watch because I think he's an exciting player. And also I think there is natural talent there and whether or not he can own that into being a a productive player early on in his career is a key storyline. But also, you know, the the final sort of rotation spot. Um, I think Doc is going to keep it to mostly a 10-man rotation. And there will be injuries here and there, which will uh, change at at times. But can, you know, is that set in stone? Can Isaiah Joe crack that rotation and replace either Furkan or Shake Milton? Uh, that is, look, this is, hasn't exactly been a camp with a ton of, of battles per se. Like I said, so many players have been out of the lineup, including most of their high minute ones. We really haven't seen this version of the team that you expect to play play at all. But uh, it's like it's it's been a camp dominated by Ben Simmons, quite frankly. Um, even though the fact that he wasn't here, uh, so yeah, there hasn't been a, a whole lot of other intrigue outside of that. Um, is you think they're gonna do this Niang at center thing when the lights come on? Not much. I don't think Doc, first of all, likes playing small ball. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I think I think Doc wants a traditional big on the roster. I think Daryl Morey, quite frankly, values offensive rebounding probably more than I think a lot of people assume because of what they did in Houston. Um, so I think I think Andre Drummond is going to play the vast majority of their backup center minutes. The question comes into when Joel Embiid misses a game. Is that when we could see George Yang or will they go with maybe uh, Paul Reed, B-Ball Paul for the Sixers fans out there? Um, or Doc could they go? Shuddered and he, he doesn't he doesn't know why. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think Doc is uh, a believer in Paul Reed's decision making. But I, I think if, if when Joel misses time, that's when we could see an occasional George Yang at center. Um, but I don't think that's going to hold up well at all defensively, especially if Ben Simmons isn't there, um, because theoretically, the only way you could do that is by switching a lot. But I mean, George Yang might be six, seven, but he can't switch anyway. So he is not really a prototypical small ball center uh, in, in too many regards other than he can shoot. But he's too slow footed to be a traditional one. Is there any hope that Tobias Harris might take a step forward this year? I mean, I thought he had maybe his best season uh, under Doc Rivers uh, last year. I thought he made some strides as an as an ISO scorer against smaller guys in the post. Like during some of the times when Embiid was out, he was able to carry yeah. them uh, at times. You know, is, is there hope that maybe he could pick up some of the slack offensively for Ben Simmons being gone? Perhaps. I think he's one of those guys that I would classify into the concern that there might be a regression though. Because I think when you look at a lot of his numbers, his shooting numbers, his perimeter shooting numbers, specifically long twos and threes, the first half of the season last year, he was just on fire. And is that Doc Rivers putting him into spots that he's comfortable or is that just a little bit of variance where he's on the positive end end of that? I worry a little bit that he could take those same, same shots this year and not make them at as good of a clip. So I would worry a little more that he might regress a little bit, um, especially if Ben Simmons isn't there to sort of create some shots. I do think he got better at times in the post, um, but then again, the Sixers, I think that that's a spot where he might be better if it was a 
stretch five there, um, which Sixers don't really have a traditional one of those. So possibly, but I would worry a little bit about relying on that. Yeah, as we get into some of the strengths and weaknesses for this team, mid-range shooting is one that really just carried them last yep. year That with Joel. Between Embiid and Harris and Seth Curry, yep. yep. Yeah, I mean, Max even, you know, his floater, He's I think that that's something that he's going to try and get to a, a lot this year as well. So, I, I mean, and Doc also has never been one of these, like, super three-point heavy bombing type of coaches. Like, he's been uh, okay with the mid-range as well. Um, but yeah, like you, I share some trepidation about them being able to sustain quite the same level of mid-range yeah. that they did yep. a year ago yeah um, and that's like i said even like Embiid could have improved in that regard and he could still take a step back from what might end up being a career year shooting from mid-range last year um so yeah i think there's a couple players like that so any other like big strengths or weaknesses for this roster that we haven't talked about yet i i mean i don't know if that we haven't talked about no i mean it, it's to me the big strength is this is why I get paid to talk about basketball. Big strength is Joel Embiid. Really, really good at basketball. I, I don't know if anyone else has figured that out yet. The big weakness is that you just don't have very many people that can create a shot from the perimeter. And that's true with or without Ben Simmons. But it becomes, I think, a little more pronounced if you don't have that transition game, both with Simmons able to push the ball and with Simmons able to force turnovers, which I think can help them get through some sticky periods in the regular season. And again, it's always important to with Simmons to to separate those two as really two different seasons. There's a regular season and post season Simmons effectiveness changes pretty drastically but in the regular season I do think his ability to force turnovers and push the ball in transition helps them overcome a little bit a lack of real great perimeter scoring options uh, that has really plagued this team for a while and which I mean Simmons is partly responsible for both because he hasn't developed into one and also because he demands the ball so much but it the fact still remains if you take Simmons off the ball it's not like there's anyone that I think can really comfortably reliably step into that role so that problem is still there. Yeah, I think without him, athleticism is a big weakness for these guys too. You, mm-hmm. you got Matisse. Joel is probably not an amazing athlete. He's you know a big physical force, but he's not the same explosiveness that he had when he first came into the league. And Danny Green and Tobias Harris is your three and four. That's probably your you know D- Danny was athletic and he, he still knows where to be and he's a solid team defender, but he's not the same athlete that he used to be. In they started yeah. a starting lineup the other day of um or maybe it wasn't starting lap it was on the floor at one point of shake milton seth curry danny green and george niang and that was some of the slowest basketball i have ever seen yeah so yes i i agree with you there i agree with you there. well let's get into predictions now here and last year they were 13th on offense and third on defense per our buddy glenn or uh, ben falks cleaning the glass site how do you see those numbers uh, being affected maybe by simmons by some of the the issues that we're talking about here you know I don't necessarily want to speculate oh, uh, on the trade target, can, but how do you see it happening there? I have no idea. I have, yeah. Absolutely. There's just so much. Just starting off with Simmons. Does he play? Does he care when he plays? How long does he play? When does the trade happen? Who do they trade for? And then you start going into like secondary questions of can Tyrese Maxey step up? What will his role be like when they get back or when they finish a trade? There's just so much. I, where are they going to end up at the end of the season? I have no idea. I have legitimate. And that's why like previewing this team is so tough because it's like on the one hand, like yeah, if Ben comes back and plays and he's Ben Simmons, like we sort of like know what this team is because we watched it all last year, but nobody expects this to be the long-term solution. So it's so weird. It Look, I think Joel Embiid will make them a top 10 defense. Can they get into 
top three or, or really, I mean, they were pretty much neck and neck with anyone in the league last year without Ben Simmons. No, probably not. At least not unless, um, depending on what happens with the trade or, or Matisse stepping up and really the way Matisse Thibel steps up to be an, a real impact first team defender is make enough shots to warrant the playing time. Yeah. But yeah, that, quick aside, I was not a fan of like his all defense candy candy last year because he just, because of his offense, which they're like, Hey, it's a defensive award, but yes, you have to have good enough offense so that you're on, the, be floor on the floor enough. Yeah minutes and in key minutes to actually provide defensive value so you know if you're averaging 22 minutes a game you can't be an all defense player yeah no i i, I agree because the all defense team should be the people who are making the biggest impact on defense and you can't make as big an impact if you're playing 20 minutes instead of 35 minutes it's just uh yeah um so yeah i think they can be a like i'm pretty confident that they will be a top 10-ish defense but even that like who i have no idea what team what team's going to be playing basketball in the majority of these games um offensively no idea i mean let's let's try and do it this way let's say they just don't have ben simmons at all and this is their roster like maybe we can come up with like some separate projections we'll try to like sure we'll try to blend it together um all right defensively i think they take a step back you know i, I think they're kind of in that seven to ten sort of range yeah him, i think that's fair i, I think that's fair and um, getting higher than seven would be pretty shocking to me without ben simmons yeah if Embiid played all 82 games i could see them actually maybe getting into the top five still but considering that he's going to miss games whoever the third string center is going to be is probably bad on, on defense or at least a little spacey and and drummond's not going to be great on defense no. uh, in space I, no i I agree. I agree if if you could if you could tell me that joel Embiid is going to play rudy gobert level minutes because what was utah last year uh, on defense like second or third uh, they ended up actually range? being number one were they and we're that's with a bunch of yeah. really mediocre defenders on the perimeter so in the regular that becomes a bigger concern in the playoffs but in the regular season one elite rim protector playing a lot of minutes can certainly do that the reason like you said i would be surprised if they got in the top five without ben is because i don't think joel's going to play rudy gobert level minutes um so yeah and they still have quality options on the perimeter like harris is fine green is is yeah. solid bible's um, you know. good Bible's good. So it's not, minutes, they don't yeah. have like Utah level of talent around Joel Embiid either, even even without. Them. So I think there'll be a quality defense. Yeah, offensively, yeah. I mean they are so ridiculously dependent on Embiid. I mean that was one of the big storylines you guys talked about last year was the bench units just couldn't score at all, and I think those bench units won't be as good defensively this year uh, as they were last year. So yeah, I, I mean I guess I would probably have them. I think it's fair to say without Ben Simmons that they would be you know they were 13th last year. I think Joel will play probably. About about as much as he played last year would be my projection. So I think they'll be right around there, like you know, fourteenth, something like that. On offense. Yeah, I would have said probably thirteen to seventeen. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's I think that's just an interesting question of like how much Ben Simmons helps your regular season offense. I think he probably helps. Yes, uh, I would say he. Balance. Yeah, I would say he helps. Um, I think he would have helped a lot more. Like if you go back two years ago when he was playing alongside Al Horford in those second units, I think he helped a lot more than he did playing sure. alongside of Dwight Howard. Now the problem is you gave Al Horford $108 million in part because you thought he could start alongside Ben or alongside Joel Embiid. But the big problem, um, he was, I think the best backup center that they had for Ben Simmons when Joel Embiid was off the floor. I don't think Ben Simmons would play all that perfectly with Andre Drummond, but I think it's probably a better offensive fit than it was with Dwight Howard, who's a pretty disastrous fit. But, you know, I do think if Ben Simmons doesn't play, the one thing with that second unit is you can go to a very, a much better spaced group, you know, whether that is, you know, Tyrese Maxey starting, bringing Shake Milton off the bench, you know, with maybe Cork Maz and Isaiah Joe and um, Matisse Thibel and maybe even play a little small ball. 
George Yang. Like, I think you can have better spacing around that group where maybe they're a little more, they're not going to be anywhere near as good defensively, I don't think. But I think they can be a little more competent offensively than they were. And maybe that becomes a little easier to stagger one of, because Doc loved his all bench units more than I think he should. But I think part of the reason is it was tough to put, you know, ask Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons to carry that collection, especially you couldn't put Ben Simmons with um, Dwight Howard. So I think maybe this bench unit might be a little better equipped to run on their own offensively with a pretty significant hit defensively, but we'll see. Yeah. So I think what the way I'm going to try and do this is, you know, project what they are without Ben Simmons. So that, you know, seventh on defense and, and 15th on offense, and then bump that up a couple of slots based on just either Simmons playing and giving them something or whatever the trade return ends up being at some point in the season. Uh, the, I mean, I don't think they're just going to get literally nothing out of that spot, whether it's him or whether it's right. I think, I think that is entirely fair. Yep. So and also, there's also me- an acknowledgement, like you said, if, if John B comes out and he plays 70 games, that changes that equation completely. No, I, uh, completely. that's a, a good point too. But yeah, I mean, that, that hasn't been the case, obviously, so far. But quick aside here, he did not have surgery on that meniscus. Any concern that like that could pop up again for him? I mean, there's always a concern. Uh, it hasn't seemed to bother him yet, but it's always, it is. Oh, and I mean, he, he was pretty active over the summer. So I don't think he took the summer off to, I don't think it bothered him to the point where he couldn't train over the summer. Well, that's good. Um, because a couple of years ago, that, that was the case after the Toronto series. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, there's, he's seven foot two, 280, whatever pounds. There's always a concern with knees, but I think that concern would probably be there even if he got surgery. I just, his yeah, knees are probably, something that uh, I worry about. Probably would be a worse concern, actually, if he had gotten surgery, uh, come to think of it. So, yeah, all right. I think I, I'll I'll predict a wins here. So I guess I'm having them as maybe, you know, th- 13th on offense, maybe 15th on offense, and yeah, call it uh, call it 7th or so, 6th or so on defense. So still a pretty good team. Uh, you know, I think. What's her over-under, like 50? It was 50 and a half when Danny and I okay. did it a, a couple of weeks ago. And that seems too high for me. I would definitely go with the under, particularly with the injury risk and all the distraction concern. Now, I mean, it's possible that they could trade Ben Simmons and get someone really good and just like completely tear through the East after the trade deadline. Like that's a possibility too. You know I mean? I think if the, if you put even a CJ McCollum type on this team, that's a pretty damn good regular season team. Um, You know, again, not saying that Daryl is going to settle for that necessarily. So I, and I that, that's the kind of yeah. trade that I think from Daryl's perspective, that will probably always be on the table. I think he feels confident. He can always dip back into that. Um, yeah. So I, you, you can get that kind of infusion at any point. Yeah. Um, now, if you start losing a bunch of games, then maybe there's a little more urgency for, for something like that. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. I think I still like these guys better in the regular season just because of Embiid than the fourth best team in the East. So I think I'm going to go with 48 wins. Guys. Yeah, I was I was I was probably thinking right around 49.50. I think I'm probably in pretty close lockstep, but it's also just so tough that because there's so much unknown, I don't think I've spent all that much time truthfully thinking about it uh, because whatever they start off with, I don't expect that to be how they end. And I, I don't think, I think the seating will be important, but I think Daryl's very focused on getting the best trade that he can. So I don't, it, it's how they look going in the playoffs. I have, yeah, it's, it's, but I think Joel Embiid will always get you in that range. As long as you have reasonable supporting cast around him, I think Joel Embiid by himself will get you close to 50 wins. The question is, do they have enough ball handling to eclipse that uh, and to really take, you know, make the most of the shooting that they have around Embiid? 
Um, that is far and away my biggest question mark. All right, well, I'm going to mark you down for 50 in the spreadsheet here, just just because it's it's better for someone to, someone in, in the local market to go to go higher because that sure you, you you won't get a bunch of shit from them if they're worse than that and you went too high. You get a bunch of shit if you if you went low. And, and oh, I'll higher. get shit either way. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> it's the way the, the the internet works for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Well, where can we keep up with uh, what you're doing here? I mean, uh, Twitter at Derek Bonner MBA, theathletic.com slash Philly, um, Sixers Beat Podcast. All we can, you can hear us talk about Ben Simmons every week, every single week. Twice a week sometimes. Yeah. yeah no, it's twice when the season starts, it'll be twice a week, which, man, I, I can't <laughs> wait for more Ben Simmons talk, which, you know, you, you, you beforehand, you were like, hey, we can, you know, glance over it, talk about it a little bit. And we ended up talking for 20 minutes, mostly on my own accord, because uh, I couldn't shut up. So I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Well, it's also like nothing. Everyone else is just the same guys on this team, too. Like, there's no, I mean, other than Maxi, yep. there's no like exciting young players. Like, is this guy going to take the leap this year kind of thing? Um, but this does just, even, even if there's a trade, this kind of has the feel of a consolidation year. And maybe then more moves happen to either use those trade assets in the offseason or to fill in around whoever it was that they got, something along those lines. Yep. But it just, I mean, for a team that, I mean, they were the number one seed last year. They have the same roster. It, it just seems like, and, and you know, they were a 55 win team in terms of their points differential. So lower than your typical number one seed be, but still a, obviously a good team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy to think that there are basically no championship aspiration this year for a team that was the number one seed last year. Yeah. And I mean, barring a, uh, you know, the, the, the game or Bradley Beal wanting out of their situation, um, barring something like that. Uh, I think this is a, I think Daryl is positioning himself for the next move, uh, which is weird for a team that is, like you said, former number one seed, has Joel Embiid. Uh, I don't think they will ever not think about, like I think Daryl is thinking about contending this year for sure, but I think he is also thinking about positioning himself for the next big move. Uh, I think that is always on his mind, and especially now when you don't have confidence in Ben Simmons being that running mate. So yeah, yep. All right, well, we will keep up with you throughout the season. Don't forget about that Sixers Beat podcast, which is, is essential listening now more than ever, in <laughs> fact, but much as it may pain you. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you all very soon. Thanks so much for being a subscriber to Dunked on Prime. Be back tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.